shocking Obamacare costs, a biotech blow up, and more healthcare M&A. It's eat or be eaten because this is where the money is. Hi fools, welcome to the healthcare edition of Where the Money Is. I'm David Williamson and I'm joined by my fellow healthcare analyst, Michael Douglas. Michael, how are you doing today? Fantastic. Happy to be back in the saddle for uh, Where the Money Is? Absolutely. Awesome. Well, we have a great show for everyone. It's 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 pretty jam-packed. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, some pretty surprising Obamacare cost news on an individual basis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a pretty busy week. I think we should get right into uh, the big story, which is really a developing story as we're tackling it, but it's looking like Allergan and Valiant is really starting to come to a head. Valiant uh, is going after Allergan. Uh, they're taking it to the shareholders. They're offering $72 in cash and 0.83 share of Valiant for every share of Allergan. Uh, on the flip side of it, looks like Allergan is going to try to buy someone else so they're not consumed by Valiant. Uh, could be targeting Shire. What are your thoughts here? Well, first thing, and this is something that I thought was just kind of funny, um, Allergan's board was saying, well, all right, listen, we know that there is this offer on the table for everybody. Please take no action. We'll review it and get back to you. This is the exact same offer that they turned down already. So I really don't expect that to be any different. Yeah, I mean, it's like they're just stalling for time, right? And maybe they hope yeah. the shareholders don't act by the, by the tender offer date. Yeah, on the... On the they're going to reject it again. That that appears to be the case. It didn't case. take him very long to reject it the last couple times. That's either. that's very true. Um, with regards to Shire, I mean, Shire does offer some of the benefits that Valiant would, the lower tax rate. Shire is mm -hmm. headquartered in um, Ireland. Uh, there's also some interesting pipeline candidates over there. So it would definitely be an interesting opportunity for Allergan. At, at the moment, this is a rumor. So we'll, we'll have to watch very closely and see if this is something that happens. Uh, but we do know for sure Valiant is gunning hard for Allergan. And that's really going to be, I think, the banner question. It's, it, it's a compelling offer mm -hmm. for Allergan shareholders. If I were one, I would probably be tempted to take it. I think it really does put the pressure on. This Shire deal has been rumored. It's been out there for a little while. Well, but Shire's been rumored for a long, long time. time. A lot is of it? different people, right? <laughs> that's very true. It's very true. Uh, so, but I think it puts pressure on Allergan's mm -hmm. board to do something um, to keep their shareholders potentially happy and from jumping ship uh, over in allegiance with Ackman and, and Valiant. So we'll be watching this story as it develops, but uh, it would be a transformative purchase for, for Valiant, just a huge, huge deal, and it would really shake up uh, that part of the healthcare sector. So we will be watching it closely. And let's move on to our next headline. And, we don't really die, get into the weeds too much on where the money is. Uh, you and I film a show every day called Market Checkup that's really all about biotech pops and drops. But we wanted to bring a little flavor of that yeah. to where the money is. <laughs> uh, I grabbed this headline from the Wall Street Journal because I thought it was it was really rosy sounding. It's Endosite regains global rights to Vintafolide. You're like, yay, they have all the rights. It's 100%. That's great. Well, the problem is they have now 100% of the rights because Merck, their big pharma partner has dropped development of the drug after a failed phase three trial. Right, and it's interesting actually. Endocyte still also said, well, we'll kind of make decisions about mm -hmm. the drug once we've got final results from a phase 2B uh, trial called Target in non-small cell lung cancer. Now this trial did very well in progression-free survival with cancer, um, with lung cancer, but they're waiting to see kind of what happens with overall survival, which is really the gold standard when you're looking at uh, FDA uh, cancer approvals. Yep, and uh, before uh, before the market opened, I took a quick little screen grab of yeah. Endocytes, um, you know, ticker essentially, and it's funny because it was up 10% yesterday, it was down 17% uh, before the market, which really just shows the the 
uh, wild swings you can have in this smaller biotech investing. Now, Endosite, this is a stock, I'll admit, I was wrong about it. You know, I, I thought they had everything going for it. They had essentially a billion dollar development deal for this drug, Vintafolide. Uh, they had received preliminary approval in mm -hmm. Europe in ovarian cancer. The phase two data uh, were great in ovarian cancer, um, or at least were good. Uh, that's why I'm a little concerned about that lung cancer data because right. it seemed, you know, you, obviously you want good phase two data over, you know, bad phase two data. But in this case, um, you know, it looked like the phase two data we got in ovarian cancer was probably more of a mirage than than reality. Mm -hmm. So, it's it's just it, it shows it speaks to how tough it is to invest here. You can you can have a stock that, um, you know, is in the right indication ovarian cancer. Absolutely, uh, is in uh, has a strong development deal billion dollars that's a big deal by big pharma standards uh, Merck is a great development partner uh, and, and still and good data in mid-stage trials and it can still go wrong for investors because this is a stock that is sold off really dramatically the EU then pulled that preliminary approval once the phase three data didn't support it um, so it, it, it just speaks to how tough it can be here to invest well, well and I'd say that's especially true with a company like Endosite you know they've got a lot of potential opportunities, but they're all in phase one and phase two, and these are very difficult to value for precisely that reason, because you have a lot of things that bomb in phase two or do well in phase two and then bomb in phase three. Mm -hmm. And so definitely a, a stock folks should keep an eye on because there are those you know potential other opportunities, but also a stock people should be very cautious about because, well, so far they're not batting that well. And we should say, just because a drug doesn't work in one form of cancer doesn't mean it won't work in another. We right. see that plenty of times. This is not the end of endocyte Nowhere uh, close. by any means, but it, it sort of highlights what mm -hmm. it's about uh, investing in this sector. Yeah, for sure. Why it can be tough. Uh, all right, let's move on to our final headline, which is uh, FDA rules, new FDA rules regarding Twitter for drug makers. Uh, if drug makers want to tweet about their drugs, they can't just... Uh, you know, tweet the benefits. They also have to tweet about some of the risks and serious safety concerns uh, involving them. What, what are your thoughts about this, Michael? Well, right. are we gonna are we gonna get bombarded by tweets from uh, from Pfizer and, and erectile dysfunction drug makers? Because I like watching football. That's so <laughs> what happens when I watch football on Sundays? Uh, yeah, no, I. I don't necessarily know how big of a difference this is going to make for a lot of for a lot of pharma's. Uh, I don't know how much they were using Twitter in the first place, but when it comes down to it, I think there's not that much. But they, yeah. some of them were saying that they were waiting for these regulations because they didn't right. want to be non-compliant. Right. So this it isn't necessarily a, a plus for some of them, uh, particularly when I, I I can't help thinking about a couple of our smaller biotechs that have drugs in the market with really, really big safety label issues, right? So I'm thinking Ariad with yeah. a Clusig, it's a leukemia drug, it's got a big black box warning about um, potential heart failure, hepatoxicity, uh, vascular occlusions, blood clot issues. I mean, there's a lot there. Yeah, um, but you know, in Ariad's case, are you really gonna drum up sales by tweeting about a drug for you know that serious indication. <laughs> That's true. Uh, you know, I, I think the the other company uh, we were talking about before the show, which is is Vivas, an mm. obesity drug maker. Those are the more likely to sure. be discussing these over social media. But in Vivas's case, again, safety issues. Cusemia, I think it was uh, what potential cleft palate issues. Uh, pregnant women shouldn't take it. I mean, so there's a lot there, and I just wonder how much marketing you'll be able to get in once you've kind of done the safety 
uh, concern. Possibly. Yeah, all, all within 140 characters. Right. So yeah, I, I don't know if uh, getting additional sponsored tweets is going to be a, a you know a real a big real growth driver for, for Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But it'll be interesting to see if if the marketing does ramp up now mm -hmm. that there are guidelines. I, I I still don't think this is going to move the needle for anyone's drug sales really. Um, maybe over the counter stuff that, that people know really well. Uh, maybe this will help spur sales for some consumer units. Sure. Uh, for the big farmers that, that kept their consumer units, uh, <laughs> that could be you know that that could be potentially where I think this this battle will go. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be high end, expensive, um, niche sort of branded drugs. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Okay. Well, let's move on to our game. Uh, we're going to play a little Would You Rather today. Um, I think you're up first. So let me let me pose to you the question, Michael. Pharmacy stocks, uh, we've seen seen them get a boost from the Affordable Care Act. We see them changing their business model a little bit. In the case of CVS, would you rather buy Walgreen or CVS? And I was tempted to throw Rite Aid in here too, just because uh, why, why not go for the trifecta of, <laughs> sure. of all three of them? But they are they are reporting, so that could that could sort of change your opinion on that. Yes, uh, potentially dramatically. So. Uh, I've got to say, this is a pretty easy one for me, uh, CVS and a landslide. And there's really three pretty key reasons. The first one is they have been a lot more aggressive in pushing the uh, retail um, clinics. So for them, this is their Minute Clinic brand. They've got 800 of them. Uh, Walgreen has about 400 by comparison. Rite Aid has 30, which they uh, recently acquired by purchasing Ready Clinic, uh, which mm -hmm. is a Texas-based group, uh, I think, in April. Um, it also. CVS has got a much more aggressive Minute Clinic expansion plan, right? They, they want to add 150 this year. Walgreen and Rite Aid, it's just not as many. Um, second reason is the fact that CVS is not just the, re the retail-facing pharmacy, right? They're also a pharmacy benefit manager or a PBM. And basically, what these do is they negotiate... That's the Caremark side of their business. Exactly. And what they basically do is they negotiate drug prices with pharmacies. They provide drug um, uh, benefits to employers, employees of those employers. Uh, basically, they help contain costs. They negotiate uh, discounts and rebates, things like that. It's a lucrative business if you've got scale, and CVS has got scale. They are the number two PBM in the country. Um, and that... One thing you want to keep in mind there is that there's lower operating profit there. The PBM segment only had about a 3.2% operating profit margin compared to the retail pharmacy side, which was 10.6%. Um, so it did bring in more revenue, though, $20 billion compared to about 16 and a half. Mm -hmm. Third reason, margins. When you look at CVS, um, the retail pharmacy margin, 10.6%. Walgreens, uh, 6.5%. And that's just more money flowing from the revenue to the bottom line. And I, you know, I really think that these are three really key things that set CVS aside. So the, the Walgreen deal with Alliance Boots, possibly tax inversion and all that coming up, that, that that's not going to tip the scale for you? I, it isn't in this case because I think there are some real opportunities with Walgreen and Alliance Boots, but... You just like the core business of CVS better. Yeah, I do. Yeah, quite I kind of do. I kinda do too, <laughs> <laughs> I've been picking CVS as well. All right, so so back at you. I actually think you own both of these, but would you rather buy Merck or Pfizer? I do own both of them, Michael. I like them both, so you're making me choose between my children here. <laughs> uh, you're not supposed to pick a favorite child. Uh, in this case, I, I, I guess I have to, uh, so I will. I'm going to go with Merck. Um, I, you know, I, I was arguing that... that their pipeline was under underrated, undervalued mm -hmm. by the market. I think the market's kind of caught up to that. You've seen Merck go on a pretty tremendous run, but I really like Immuno Oncology for them. Uh, they're going to be first to market with 34.75, um, and so that that's a really. I mean, this is a 
six and a half, seven billion dollar peak sales kind of drug. Everyone thought Bristol Myers Squibb was the leader here. Uh, Bristol may have a little more robust immuno oncology pipeline, mm -hmm. but they're not going to be first. And I think there will be a bit of a first mover advantage here, uh, especially because uh, these drugs are going to be used by doctors off label. They're aware of this data mm -hmm. and, and, and how robust the responses is. So, so if Merck gets approved in melanoma, it's going to be used in non-small cell lung cancer. It's going to be used in renal cancer, sure. uh, where we've seen just robust and durable responses. Uh, take a look at hepatitis C. Uh, we see Gilead just just absolutely killing it. Um, there has been some pushback over the cost of, of Savaldi, $84,000, but uh, it's not enough to stop them from making $2.3 billion in first quarter sales, the, the fastest, best launch of all time for a drug. Uh, Merck intends to gun right at Savaldi with a one drug once a day regimen, uh, trying to cut down that treatment time. They went and purchased a company for a little under $4 billion, uh, Idenix. Was it a little steep? Possibly, but it gives them the what, what could be potentially the second best combination in, the, in this market. Mm -hmm. So. You know, even if they capture 30% of it, you know, that's the type of deal that pays for itself. When, when Gilead bought Pharmacid, everyone was horrified. There were $11 billion for one drug. Well, Gilead's going to make that back in just about a year. Yeah, they're, they're looking pretty it's, good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be about all profit from then on. So, um, you know, I, I, I think when you look at those two things, that that's, that's really exciting. You know, I, I like how Merck is transforming its R&D mm -hmm. uh, to get more competitive. You see them selling off units, raise, cap, you know, raise money. Uh, Pfizer already went through that transformation. They sold off nutrition. They spun out animal health. They have a lot of money. A uh, little, little nervous. I think the AstraZeneca deal would have made sense for them. Um, as far as the tax inversion, it would have helped prop up earnings in the short term, which are not going to be bad, but they're not going to be great. AstraZeneca certainly wouldn't have helped earnings in the short term. That's a company that's not going to grow earnings till 2017, 2018. Um, but there was some immu interesting immuno-oncology there. Uh, Pfizer has completely missed the boat on immuno-oncology. We mm -hmm. saw news today that they're uh, in about a $100 million plus deal for some uh, CART assets, which uh, is potentially immuno-oncology for blood cancer. Uh, we'll see what happens there. That's not a huge deal by, by big pharma standards, so uh, I don't think investors should be getting too excited by that yet. I do like Prevnar. I do like that they have all this cash that they can do something with, increase the dividend, increase share buybacks, mm -hmm. uh, you know, provide value to shareholders that way. But when you're talking about a company that just has a lot going on, I, I like Merck. And you know, they have a base inhibitor in Alzheimer's. It's in mid-stage trials. That's an interesting asset. So, so I think uh, both are solid choices. Both are nice dividend payers. But, but I'm going to pick Merck. All right, fair Merck, enough. Merck is my favorite child. We'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we, got, we have a question in. Uh, this, it came in from Mosin this week. He, he's a full one member. We read all your questions, but if you are a member of a full service, you have a better shot of getting on this show. <laughs> I, I will play favorites. Uh, but Mosin asks, uh, can you please talk a little comparing different companies in this COPD atmosphere and any ideas therein for investment? Thanks again. Well, Michael, you, you really dove in here, yeah. and uh, you, you, you have all there is to know about COPD. We're actually going to merge the mailbag with our deep dive segment because, uh, because of just how, how deep you dove. Well, and, and there's, it's in part because there's a lot of information on a lot of competitors, right? So the first one that I think everyone thinks about is GlaxoSmithKline. Mm -hmm. um, they have 
Oh, and, and by the way, just so everybody's aware, I'm going to talk a little bit about the COPD and asthma opportunities with each, with each of these companies, and then kind of the more overall investing thesis, concern, whatever it may be. So with Glaxo, um, about a quarter of their revenue last year, 2.6 billion of 9.3, uh, uh, sorry, last quarter, 2.6 billion of 9.3 billion came from uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, or asthma uh, assets. So when you look at what they've got on the market. The big thing is Advair. Mm -hmm. And Advair generated about $8 billion in sales last year. It was about a, a fifth of Glaxo's top line on its own. There's a problem with Advair, though. Yep. It's, uh, it's, its patent's already expired. Right. But it, the discus, the delivery device, still has patent protection. Right. And it's, but not for long. No, no. Not, <laughs> not for long. And it's, it's getting hit by a generic manufactured by Novartis, yep. actually. Um, and Novartis turned out data in April showing that their generic version of Advair which is their Onbrez Breezehaler, actually had a dosing advantage over Advair. So it doesn't have a naming advantage, though. Breezehalers. No, no it's, 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 it's not the best. And that was, that was in a study with folks with moderate COPD. Uh, it's a once-daily treatment compared to Advair's twice-daily, and basically it was not inferior. So mm -hmm. it was equivalent from a statistical standpoint. In terms of efficacy, which means right. the dosing advantage is its real advantage. It, it is key. Yeah, exactly. Um, that said, you know, Glaxo hasn't been sitting on their hands. They've been known this was coming, they've known this was coming for a while. And so they have been investing in new drugs that are coming to market. Now, first off, they've got a huge pipeline, a lot of drugs, late stage assets, phase three, uh, which are those really big trials. They've got a bunch of phase two and phase one assets as well, which we don't assign as much value to, if any. But they've also got some new stuff on the market. So you've got Breo Ellipta. Now this sold about two million last quarter, mm -hmm. uh, which is, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's pennies. That's a rounding error for Black <laughs> Right. Um, that was their that was uh, their first quarter on the market was in Q4 though. So it's kind of one of those give it some time kind of things. Peak sales are estimated at about a billion, um, and uh, this is partnered with Theravance, the smaller. That's not sugarcoated though. The Breo Ellipta launch has been underwhelming. It has thus far, but you know we'll we'll, we'll see how things go longer term. Um, I think. Um, Potentially better is the Anoro Ellipta. Um, and this is approved in late 2013. They only launched it in April. Mm -hmm. So we really don't have any data yet. Um, but this is one we want to watch very closely. Um, Fierce Biotech um, basically uh, estimated peak sales uh, 1.4 billion or north of that. Um, Anoro was tested against Advair in phase three trials and did better in lung function than Advair. So that is a potentially big drug that could help plug some of that hole. That's yeah. a, it's a big hole. It and, is. And it is. Advair is going to keep being problems, uh, being a problem for them. And you've got Incruzolipta as well, uh, which was approved in April of this year by the FDA. When you put Incruz and Breo, the first drug I talked about together, they actually do better than Breo on its own. So there's some opportunity there, but we're just going to have to see. And, and the question is for Glaxo, I mean, Advair is such a big seller. Yeah. Uh, they may still retain the best-in-class drugs mm -hmm. uh, with, with, with the, you know, Anoro. The Elliptas. The Elliptas. Uh, but will they ever get to the gigantic blockbuster, you know, that mega blockbuster status? No. Yeah. No, I don't think they will. I mean, I think together, when you combine them all, you'll see some nice revenue. Mm -hmm. but, I, but I do think that's a problem for Glaxo. They'll be the dominant player, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a tough patent cliff for them. Yeah. Well, and, and ultimately, when you look at kind of broader on Glaxo, I think it's hard to really make a firm investing decision on the company right now because, you know, they've had the drug marketing issues, which yep. have been in the news a ton in China and elsewhere around the world in Poland. Uh, they're under investigation in the UK. And so there's a lot there. And then they also just sold off their oncology portfolio to Novartis. Yep. And so that... And added some vaccine assets. Exactly. So that, that in puts in a lot of uncertainty. So uh, Glaxo is almost more of a vaccine play at this point. Yeah. Uh, when you really take a look at it. And so... Um, 
it's going to be interesting to see. They didn't even get the flu asset in return, which yeah. would have been a nice, nice addition. You know, I, when we when we did this, I was like, oh, okay, I'll I'll look at Theravance, You know, because usually the, those smaller players, they're a little bit more of a pure player. You know, that's a great way to play it. And I took a look at Theravance, and that's not even really that clear a choice either, because here's a company that's splitting in two. Mm -hmm. uh, th there's going to be a drug development company and a royalty company. Now, the drug development company. Uh, is still partnered with Glaxo on some, you know, very early stage COPD drugs. Uh, they have their own COPD drug in about mid-stage development. Mm -hmm. But a noroleptico, breolepto, the, the the drugs that it's pa it's partnered with Glaxo on that are approved, that's going into the royalty company. You know, and you, you take a look at the royalty company, you're like, okay, well that that could be nice. It's interesting, I guess. You know, they're going to get paid royalties, pay them out as dividends. Uh, PDL Biopharma is, is another example of this. It has about a six percent yield. But uh, you, you take a look at it, the royalties aren't that great. They get fifteen percent for Breo. They get six and a half percent for a noro so you know it's, it's just not it's not that compelling to me uh, i i think theravance would maybe be one to watch to see what those drugs in development do uh but uh that side of theravance but it'll be uh it'll be a little interesting to uh to see sort of how that plays out right and, and the other big and i've already talked a little about novartis but the other kind of big company in this area is astrazeneca actually um you know they've got Pulmacourt. Uh, which pulled in uh, almost 900 million last year. You've got Symbicort, which is uh, 3.5 billion last year, up 10% in constant currency. And it is one of those um, drugs that's really actually kind of hitting Advair and beginning to reduce its US um, market saturation. You know, they've got a lot in pipeline. Um, actually, one of the big things that Astra did when they were trying to, f well, successfully, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, at least in round one, fighting off Pfizer, was they talked a lot about their pipeline. And so PT003 and PT010 are a pair of drugs that they were talking about a lot, and these are COPD asthma drugs. And so, you know, they're looking at um, analyst estimating peak sales of $3 billion. Now, that's non-risk adjusted, so that assumes that everything goes well. Oh, yeah. but, uh, but that could be substantial. Benralizumab, which is in phase three for asthma and entering phase three for COPD. Uh, again, kind of the one to $2 billion range for uh, analysts. So there are some opportunities there as well. And, and Astra's actually done a lot about trying to distinguish themselves. Um, they just did a new mobile-enabled program in the UK uh, with COPD for helping you manage your appointments. And, and it's got an app. It's for tracking your condition, things like that. So there's some interesting opportunities there. That said, Astra its own management is not guiding for revenue growth until 2017. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think, I, honestly, there are none of these companies that I'm really that jazzed about. And I feel bad because I wanted to answer Mosin's question, but, but the, yeah. the truth is it's, it's kind of a fractured market mm -hmm. um, and there really isn't a great pure play yeah. in a lot of ways now that the Theravance is, is breaking itself Doing apart. Its yeah. So, um, you know, otherwise it's big pharmas and, and Glaxo's influence in COPD is going to wane as these more competitors come up and, and their big drug loses its patent protection. So, right. um, it's, uh, it's, you know, I wish we had a better answer than that, but that's that's sort of the current state of the COPD market, and, and it is what it is. That is how it is. That is how it is. All right, well, let's move on to Tweet It, which is my favorite favorite portion of the show, Michael. I, I always enjoy this. Our first tweet comes from Sarah Cliff, mm -hmm. formerly of Wonk Blog, now of Vox. She followed Ezra Klein, and she's got some, some pretty surprising Obamacare news. She tweets, the average subsidized healthcare.gov enrollee pays an $82 premium, gets a $264 subsidy. Mm -hmm. uh, and she actually, if you if you look at her tweet, she actually had a chart with it. It, it didn't fit on the screen for us. Uh, it showed that the, the average monthly premium for tax credits, $68 for bronze is, is what people are paying, mm -hmm. $69 for silver, 
208 for gold and 220 for platinum so that that's where that average $82 comes from. Exactly. And 87% of people who purchased coverage through the exchange were eligible for subsidies, and we assume most, if not all of them, got them. Um, I mean, those subsidies were meant to... It takes a certain type of person to turn down free money. Oh, that's true. <laughs> those subsidies were meant to entice people into the exchanges, and by all accounts, they've worked. Mm -hmm. I mean, HHS was saying, we really are shooting for 7 million people in the exchanges. They got 8.1 million. Um, and you know, you're looking at uh, folks like WellPoint. WellPoint did very well in the exchanges. WellPoint's been really bullish. They've been uh, increasing their uh, profit and revenue expectations, still a little bit below last year's, but uh, much better than they were guiding for at the end of last year. Um, you know, you've got United Health Group doubling their exchange footprint. Yeah, um, and seeing uh, we're seeing premium rates come down yes. too in some states, which is which I think caught even the most uh, bullish Obamacare people off guard. Absolutely. Because premiums don't go down. <laughs> you know, go, going up slowly is a win. Yes. Uh, and so, you know, this, this sort of premium spike wasn't there. So it looks like insurers have actually done a pretty good job mm -hmm. as far as calculating uh, what the costs were going to be for these new enrollees. Absolutely. So definitely, uh, definitely good news for Obamacare and definitely... Um, uh, some, it's good that people are getting cheap insurance, I guess. And potentially good so. news for investors, right? Yes. They're, they're getting the volume uh, off. Well, these. it's been a huge win for WellPoint. Certainly. Absolutely. And uh, the Medicaid expansion has been a huge win for the for the Medicaid insurers, too. Yeah. Like Molina. All right, well, let's move on to our next tweet, which comes from Bloomberg. Uh, and it says, Legal pot sets off penny stock frenzy. And they have this great, great graphic called Reefer Madness. <laughs> and... If, if this isn't a bubble, I don't know what is, Michael. Uh, it, it's definitely the, the front half of one. It's the market cap of the 130 self-described marijuana stocks. Investors have bid them up from $500,000 starting in September of 2012 to $7 billion, $7.3 billion in market cap today. What are your thoughts? Well... <laughs> You know, a, pe a penny stock for your thoughts. Yeah, I guess. It might be worth less than a penny. Um, you know, this is something that we, we talk about pretty regularly, which is that honestly, when you look at marijuana stocks, there's a lot of uncertainty. It's the Wild West. There are a lot of SEC uh, trading issues that have popped up, you know, a lot of legality issues. Yep. You know, be careful. There aren't really any good marijuana stocks out there that we've been able to find so far. Um, it doesn't mean that there won't be some that pop up because inevitably as the uh, industry consolidates and as things become more regulated, um, that may happen. But there's just nothing really that great right now. It's kind of like investing in a biotech in phase one. Yep. Sure, the potential may be there, but it could also bomb. Everything yep. could bomb. You could you could get in on the ground floor of something big and you know, it, as marijuana becomes more legal, mm -hmm. yes, this market size will, will Increase and and I understand the enthusiasm there, but you take a look at some of these stocks like Canavest, um, you know, which has run into its own problems and and the way the market cap whips mm -hmm. around on it. And this is one of the industry leaders. You know? Yeah, uh, I I just I just think the risk is way too high. Uh, you know, again, this isn't the first time we've said it. This is not the last time. Nowhere close. We're gonna say it. Uh, pot stocks, marijuana stocks, they are a stay away for serious investors. Um, yes, maybe you'll get jealous when your neighbor says he made 700% on a stock, but you won't be when he said he lost everything on a stock. That's true. Alright, let's move on to our <laughs> final tweet, which uh, looks like Dr. Oz not having not having a good week, Michael. Yeah. Uh, this comes from Sherry Pagoto, uh, who wrote, Dr. Oz grilled over Miracle, a diet products on Capitol Hill, and, and he was really taken to task by uh, Senator Claire McCaskill. Um, obviously, Dr. Oz goes on his show, uh, talks about you know miracle weight loss cures, uh, and 
it's it's big business. You know, two point four billion spent mm -hmm. on on these supplements. Now, he doesn't add his name to all of them, but you know that doesn't stop them from uh, grabbing something he said and slapping his picture up on a website. Yeah, I think they called it the Oz effect or something like that. Is this idea that you know Dr. Oz talks about something that could be exciting, then someone basically creates a product at least tangentially related to that and starts selling it. Um, you know, it, it's just it's just the classic. You know, be careful out there. You know, wh whether we're talking about products, whether we're talking about stocks, you mm -hmm. know, there are a lot of people who are looking to uh, make money off of you, yep. and it's you've got to be really, really careful, really, really smart about how you spend your money, whether it's on investments, whether it's on food, whether it's on diet pills. Well, I just wonder if we're going to see more regulation at some point over the supplement industry. Mm. Um, you know, obviously these supplement regulators escape essentially FDA scrutiny, um, you know, as long as they're careful about the claims they're making. Quite frankly, there's so many of them, you can't even police them anyway. That's true. Uh, so it becomes, it, it just becomes a regulatory challenge and a, and a regulatory nightmare, and, and they prey on people's you know hopes and dreams. And it's you know they're not all crooked. Certainly, there are good supplements out there to take. And I'm not trying to sure. uh, you know uh, use a broad brush to to paint the industry wrong. But uh, you know it's not good for the for the quality players uh, you know who produce good supplements mm -hmm. um, that they're paired up with with some of these more uh, shady practices that you see. So uh, hopefully Dr. Oz changes uh, changes some of his practices as well. Isn't uh, isn't quite the hype man for for miracle weight loss cures. Uh, you know, Senator Claire McCaskill said, you know, where's the enthusiasm for, uh, uh, you know. Uh, Taking a, a walk. Yeah, or... <laughs> a nice sunset walk or when you get off the, you know, how you feel when you get off the bike. So it'll be interesting to see if he changes his uh, his business practices at all. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you everyone for joining us for Healthcare is Where the Money Is. You can catch Michael and Mai every day on Market Checkup where yep. we talk uh, biotech. We go into the weeds a little bit, but it's a, it's a fun show, a lot of pops and drops. Uh, stay tuned tomorrow for another Market Checkup and come back to fool.com for all your financial news as well. Fool on.